0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. All right, we got three services today. If you are new to the church, I am Tyler. I've been gone for about a year. I'm back. Um, It was a a month, but it felt like 10 years. I missed you. I missed you. I snuck in actually one service, almost came last week again. Uh, But it was was just so good to uh, stop, pause, rest for about two weeks straight uh, and unplug and just hang out with the Lord and have a great time. And then, you know, I met with the overseers and uh, Calendar and did a bunch of other things. We actually visited like four services, a handful of churches. Uh, I still think, you know, going to church during sabbatical is good. So that was fun. Uh, There ain't nobody, there ain't no place though like uh, Mission Church. I love Mission Mission Church. So it's great to be back. Thank you to everybody who spoke, Joe Little, Mike T, all our guest speakers. Can we give it up for our guest speakers? Golly, they crushed it. All right, I ain't got no more time to celebrate. Let's get to work, okay? Um, Revelation 2, start a new series titled That's My Church. Every sabbatical, if you want to call it that, every restful month I take, I always go uh, in the book of Revelation and I read the letters to the churches. And I want to read you just one letter to the ch- one of the churches, it's the church of Ephesus, and just hear what the Lord is saying. Uh, you got to understand something. This is Jesus writing a letter to the church. Woo. Can you imagine Jesus writing a letter to Mission Church? Yeah. What would he say? I pray that it would have a lot of things of celebration. Um, and if you know anything about the seven uh, letters of the churches, I call them God's Yelp reviews. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I went to this church, and this church made me puke. That's the church that they would see. It. Like, don't eat there, disgusting. You know, and then he goes to the Church of Sardis. Like, that's the dead church. Like, they ain't even trying no more. Like, that place is terrible. Zero stars. The Church of Ephesus they got a lot of things going for them, but they've lost the main thing. The main thing, and I want to read it to you in Revelation 2. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know your deeds and your hard work in the Bay Area. Come on, Mission Church. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found themselves false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. And have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. The translation says, I have this complaint. Can you imagine Jesus coming to church and saying, You know, I got a complaint about church today. And trust me, I've been passed for 20 years. People got complaints. Today's gonna be, it's too hot. Okay? You are the wise people. 845 service, smart people. The 1130 people, it's gonna be a sauna. I'm gonna do a totally different sermon about just not don't you don't wanna go to hell, okay? Um, <laughs> it's gonna it's going to be powerful. It's going to be the whole illustration for 30 minutes. Be like, I'm not going to say yes. Um, but at 845, people come and go, and they give complaints about this and about that and about the parking and about the sound. Can I just tell you, you do not have the qualifications to complain about church. You, you, you don't have the, the tool belt. You don't have the credentials. You don't have the expertise. It is not our area to complain about church. But Jesus, the one who died, birthed it. Man, he has the credentials and the authority to say, "Hey, I'm the one who birthed this. I'm the one who died for this. I'm the one who designed it." And so, when you go off kilter, I'm going to speak up. And so he said, "I got, I got this complaint. I got this one thing against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. I could just preach a sermon on consider. Just consider your life. Consider how you're living." Consider what your passions are. Consider what's consuming you. Consider your calendar. Consider the people you've chosen to build with. Consider, consider, consider. The Lord's like saying, take a look. This is life and death. It's not about having a good day or a bad day. It's about freedom or bondage. About abundance or lack. Consider. Just consider it. I lost myself almost. Eh? I haven't preached for uh, about a month, so Oh, found it. Okay, consider how far you've fallen. <laughs> that was really hard. I was like, it's like a magic eye, you know, like that magic thing. Like, uh, okay, uh, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and move your lampstand from its place. Uh, when I was reading this, I just, I love the things you did at first. You, you got to go back to when you first fell in love with the Lord. I was 16 years old, and I was a, a barbarian for Jesus. I wanted to be at everything and anything the church had, worship services. I would show up on, during the weekdays and say, you know, can I do something? And they'd have me go pick up the, the trash in the parking lot. I was at every Bible study. I, I would hear a sermon about serving people, and then I'd pick up a hitchhiker. All crazy. Just don't do the stuff I was doing. <laughs> but I was like, Jesus, is that you on the side of the road? Hop on in, you know? It was a different time. It wasn't as crazy as now. And I was in Piala, It was a lot safer. Just don't do that, okay? But, but I, just, I just had this fire in me that I just wanted to live for God And do everything he called me to do. If the word said it, I was going to do it. And somewhere along the way, a lot of Christians, that flame starts to go down and they don't have the same zeal they had for God. Getting out of bed to go to church isn't the same. And I'm going to tell you real quick. It's never because you're not going to get excited to come to church. Was worship like amazing, by the way, today? Hey, what, what? When we went into our God, I was like, Woo! It was like one of those moments. I was like, we're going for it today. You know what I'm saying? Our worship can be the greatest worship on the planet. But if you aren't putting God first and sending your life around God, you're not going to be excited to get out of bed. To go to church, I'm excited to worship God. And so he's saying, remember that that, that moment when you found out how great I was and how beautiful I was and and how, how great that time was. We can have that again. We're not supposed to graduate from that moment. So he goes on to say, Uh, Remember first, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have found this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Stop. Title of my new series is "That's My Church," a church that pleases God. And so every July I read in Revelation uh, to make sure that I never lose my way. The book of Revelation is like this um, beautiful story to the church and it's like God's leaving these breadcrumbs on a path of saying, Make sure you follow the breadcrumbs. Uh, the word of life, the word of God is bread. Follow the bread, and so you'll never leave this path. And he's saying to the church of Ephesus, somewhere along the way, you stopped following the breadcrumbs, and you started trying to sustain on the work of, of stuff and trying to get your own performance and, and, and impressiveness. And so you've lost your way. Consider, look, look where the trail is, and look where you're at. If you will repent, come back to what you're supposed to do, and just put me first, I will not remove my last stand. But if you keep living like a religious people, and you keep living in a certain way, I'm gonna simply say this, that is not my church, and my land stand will be removed. And if you go to Ephesus today, it is ruins and nothing more, they did not listen. By the fourth century, it was gone. And the reality is, is a church can lose its way within a week, because when we start to put anything above the presence of God and pursuing God, we get lost. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me unpack this real quick, um, the purpose of the church and, and, and how important this is. And so let's just use some simple illustrations. Uh, who loves pizza? Anybody? I uh, love me some pizza. my favorite food, okay? Hallelujah. Um, I, I was at the barbershop this week. This doesn't even have a message, but um, uh, this is, uh, uh, what the barbershop's daughter was there. She's about six, and, and she was giving art to one of the barbers named Art. And uh, Nick goes, uh, yeah, he, um, you should give it to Art. And I go, you want to know why na- his name is Art? And she goes, why? Because he loves art. And I go, and that's why my name is Pizza. And, and the dumbest joke ever, the whole barbershop started laughing. And I was like, I'm gonna hang out here a lot more. I, this, these people build me, it was the worst joke ever, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, but pizza is my favorite food, okay? I love it, it is, it, I, I think about it all the time. Um, uh, we have, you know, when I get my cheat meal, like this Friday, I, 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 get, I get two cheat meals a week, is what I do for myself, cause it's for my EOE. Um, I'm not allowed to eat a lot of unhealthy food, so for my esophagus, so, so Friday night, I'm allowed to maybe have a cheat meal, so, so I got pizza delivered to the house on Friday. and I had this thought, what if the pizza delivery person, DoorDash, didn't use a box, just brought a pizza by itself, <laughs> Just slammed it on my ground, took a picture, pizza delivered, peace out. You'd be like, what? Now, they delivered the most important thing, but the thing that was supposed to be used to deliver it is no longer a part of it. The box is so simple, we don't value it that much, but all it has to do is be clean and be empty and deliver to the place. And the church doesn't need more information. It needs more consecration. The church needs to empty out some things. Let's just let's process. Who who got some coffee this morning at church? Did you think about how important the cup was? Can you imagine if we didn't give you cups for coffee, like just like just drink from hands? "Ah, ah, 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 That's good. That's good. Oh, that's rooted. I love rooted coffee. Ah, you know, like 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 the the cup is so important for the most important thing, which is the coffee. Can you ima- let's I, I, I got I'm just one more okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Um, can you imagine how silly and how ludicrous it would be if I used my toothbrush to clean my bathroom it's it's ridiculous and when the church that is what does consecration mean the toothbrush is for my teeth nothing else the church is for me and nothing else it's not for religion it's not for entertainment it's not for you to get your warm and fuzzies. It is to please God. The number one reason why we exist is to worship God. And when we make it anything else, it's ridiculous. When we make it anything else, we're the church that doesn't have the, 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 the vessel-type mentality. God, would you flow into us so you can flow through us? But the problem is, is what if we use the coffee cups to just put pens in them? What if you use your life just to put stuff in it instead of the thing in it? Oh, what happens to this world? My, my, my prayer is that we would be a church that would understand that we are chosen vessels for one reason and one reason only to have the treasure of the kingdom to put, put in us. I love what it says in the Corinthians that this treasure has been put in earthly vessels, you and I. It's been poured into us. Not so we're a cul de sac, but so we may pour it out into this world. Are you ready for the message? Yeah. Would you bow your heads, I'm going to pray. God, we love you. Oh, we give you everything. May we be a church that pleases you. May we not lose our way. May we follow the breadcrumbs of your word and stay on the path of life. Everything else is death. Everything else. It's not kind of good and then you're great. No, it's either life or death. And so, God, we choose life today. We choose your promises today. We choose the king of kings today. God, I pray right now that my words would fall to the floor and that yours are words would soar. God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said so the time I message today, uh, That's My Church, is a church where the oil flows. I'm going spiritual today, spiritual. Um, we're going Old Testament on you too. Are you ready? Um, uh, uh, 2 Kings 4, 2 Kings 4. Here's what it says. Uh, a certain woman uh, of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know what your, uh, your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? When you are in a deficit, where do you go? She knows where to go. Yeah. I don't got time to unpack that, but you get it. Okay. Um, and she said, the maid servant said, I have nothing. So she goes, I got nothing. Now, if you are a parent or you are married and you ever heard somebody tell you they have nothing, you just kind of want to look at them for a little bit. Like, you know, little kid, I got nothing. You have nothing? I've seen your room. I've seen your, you got nothing? And I feel like this woman at this moment, she's saying to Elijah, I got nothing. And Elijah looks at her, you got nothing? Hmm?" And as she says nothing, she goes, well, except. Okay, okay, I got one thing. I got one thing. I got this jar of oil. And it's amazing to me in this moment that if she doesn't have the prophet there The enemy's goal, I wrote this down, I I think it's a a quote on the screen. The enemy's goal for you is to minimize the one thing that can change everything. And if you know the story, the oil is the game changer of all game changer in this story. If you know anything about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. The oil represents uh, God's flow in your life. It literally is uh, the the life of God flowing into you. It's the power of God, the empowerment. So, so, So the oil is the thing. And the the, the thing that could change everything in your life, a lot of times we minimize. I think about David when he um, had a mistake. Um, He's asking God to not take something from him. He doesn't say, Don't take my palace. Don't take my money. Don't take my 10 plus wives. My 10 plus concubines. It's Old Testament stuff. I'll unpack in a little bit. Um, (laughs) Don't take my power. He doesn't say that. He says, Don't take your Holy Spirit. Psalm 51 says, Don't take the oil. The most successful man in the Old Testament ever to live knew the one thing that changes everything. He knew the one thing. If I lose the oil, I lose everything. I can lose the palace. I can lose the power. I can lose the money. I can lose the prestige. But please don't take the oil. Don't take take your spirit, God. And what Jesus is saying to the church of Ephesus is saying, hey, you value everything except the oil. And I need you to go back to valuing the oil. And the oil is the spirit, the presence of God. I don't know about your life, but consider your life. What do you value right now? What's at the top of the list? Are you praying prayers like David? Today, Lord, just don't take your spirit from me. Keep your, keep your, keep your presence with me. Go before me, behind me, around me, empower me. Pour your life into me. Because every time the oil was poured out on of the Old Testament, it represented anointing and empowerment to accomplish the task before them. If you want to accomplish the task before you, you need the oil. And so David praised the simple prayer. don't take the oil. This woman said, I got nothing. I got some oil. And she's about to see what the oil can do in her life, and we're about to see what the oil can do in our life. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. Watch how many times you'll see vessels in this, by the way. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour into all those vessels and set the, uh, aside the full ones. She went um, from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels. Everybody say vessel. vessel. Come on now. Um, to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full. Then she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is no, not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Stop. This text you could... You could talk about the vessels the whole time and, you know, I could, I could preach from the, the angle because this is what I love about scripture. There's so many ways you're gonna pack it with hermeneutics and, and, and different ways. And so I, I, was, I was thinking about going with, you know, um, one of my favorite Bible said this, that God is not looking for gold vessels or silver vessels, he's just looking for willing vessels. And, and the reality is, is, is if you wanna be used by God and you wanna experience God, you better become a willing vessel. Yeah. You better empty yourself out of religion and stuff and, and, and hobbies. This is what's so funny to me about people who don't know the Lord. You think that you have to give up enjoying life to live for God. You lost it. You missed it. It's actually start enjoying God and allowing him to actually bring the oil into all the things you enjoy and those things actually become enjoyable. I, I don't understand the lie from the pit of hell where you're like, all right, I'm a Christian, buy golf, Bye friends. I wanted to do something great in business, Bye business. You know, uh, they they see you at the coffee shop every day. You're just like eating oatmeal. What happened? I gave God my whole life. Where is that in the Bible? All he's looking for is saying, hey, let me pour into your life what I know is best. Let let me pour in the treasure of heaven, the treasure of joy, the treasure of wisdom. Instead of you trying to fill your life up with the world, trust me, I can pour greater things in your life. And then as you go into this world, those things are going to spill in things that you enjoy. Okay, that's not even my message, I'm sorry. I haven't preached five weeks, uh, 22 minutes. Uh, so we're uh, doing three services. Just give you a that my message is gonna be uh, 35 minutes instead of 50 minutes, um, but they're probably gonna be 50 minutes, okay? Um, and so they're gonna be a parking issue. I don't know, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not shortening my message today. I'm gonna let y'all have it, is that okay? Okay, cool. Um, we're gonna look at three things. The reality of the deficit, um, the cost of not dealing with the deficit, and the last one, at least, the remisi- remedy for the deficit. So the, the, the big thing in the story is, the woman realizes that the deficit has created a scenario where bondage is coming. And the, every story in the Old Testament points to this story in the Bible, and that's Jesus setting us free from the ultimate deficit of sin, and of course, providing for us so we could have life and abundant life. And so when we look at this story, it's not an old story, it is a story that is alive and well for us today. And so she has this reality, and and what's at stake uh, with her, she goes and knows this. If I don't steward my life well, the next generation is going to be in bondage. And the reality is, is that the church and the people in this house that are the mothers and the fathers of our church, if you do not steward your life well, the next generation is in bondage. The Bay Area is in bondage. Your family is in bondage. And so if we don't steward our life and say, I'm ready for you to give to me, God, what you have for me, instead of doing that, you actually start living a certain way. You create a huge deficit. And here's what deficits do. They just create bondage. So when Jesus said, I came to give life and life abundantly, an abundant life creates freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the oil is, there is freedom. So let's just talk about the reality of a deficit. So I uh, pastored in LA for a, a good chunk of my life. And it was in that season of my life that I realized that deficits come in all shapes and sizes. Um, I worked at this church in uh, L.A. in the Valley of Ani. called the Church on the Way. H- such a rich history if you know about the Church on the Way. It was one of like the top 10 mega churches of the 80s. Like, God absolutely used it in LA. And, and so it's in the Valley. My, my wife actually was a, a stipend worship pastor there uh, on Saturday nights when she was working at Sony Pictures. Lisa, our worship pastor, was the worship pastor at Church on the Way back in the day also. They grew up at that church. Justin Toll on staff, he also worked at that church. It's kind of crazy. We got a, a handful of uh, um, Church and Way people there. And of course, I was a, a, a youth pastor, then a generational pastor um, there. Uh, and I remember uh, being there on a Sunday And, you know, I'd greet. I've always loved greeting. If I can get out there and say hi to people, I love it. Um, I remember greeting at that church. And, you know, um, Cuba Goody Jr., if you know who he is, he he went to that church. And so I'd be like, you, Cuba, would be showing up. Hey, what's up, Cuba? Give him a high five, you know. And then, like, the next person walking in would be, like, a homeless person. You know, I'd give them a high five. Uh, The Jonas Brothers went to that church for a little while. Hey, shout out, Jonas Brothers, okay. Um, here's, Here's a big shout out. Pat Boone went to that church. I did some big intercessing praying with Pat Boone sometimes me and Pat Boone would grab hands and pray for the valley. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, uh, uh, we had uh, very, 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 very wealthy people that went to that church. Um, and so I'd see people show up in a Benz and come in a bus to the same place. And, I remember my, my very first Sunday, the pastors, what they would do, they did this for a season, is all the pastors, and this was a mega church, so we had like, you know, 100 people on staff. So a handful of pastors at the end of service, we, we, had, we had to wear suits, by the way, uh, at, at church, so, you know, I had my suit, and they had me come up to the front, and if anybody needed prayer, I'd pray for them. So the first person comes up, and, and, you know, he's like, hey, we're trying to acquire this building, and uh, it's, it, you know, it's a $50 million building, and we're believing for it, but, but there's a couple of things, and I was like, a $50 million building? I was like, hallelujah, impart that on my life, you know, and so, so I prayed, prayed for him, then the next guy comes up, and he has blood on his knuckles, and like, you know, kind of crazy, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, so what can I pray for? He's like, he's like, will you pray that I don't get arrested? And I was, like, I was like, what? He's like, I, I literally just walked into church. I got in a fight out there. Uh, I, I was, uh, some guy tried to steal all my stuff. He was a homeless man, and, and so I started fighting him. And the cops showed up, and I just ran, and then I just ended up here. And I, uh, he's, and he, so I was like, I was like, oh my, what am I doing? Yeah, so I was like, started praying for him. And he put his bloody hand on my shoulder, and I was like, nah, man, that's my new suit, bro. Um, I prayed for him, and I remember, I remember leaving that day and just having my eyes open that, that you can be rich in money, but poor emotionally. Okay. You can be rich in career, but bankrupt in your marriage. That, that, that some of the people that were the poorest people in our church, man, they were the ones with the most joy and zeal in our church. And so as I started pastoring, I started realizing that deficits come in all shapes and sizes. And so if you're in the church today and you don't think you have a deficit, you will have a deficit for the rest of your life. The Bible says very clearly, if I could just give you the translation, blessed are those who realize they're poor for the kingdom of heaven shall be theirs. Let's just put the deficit word on there because that's the same thing as poor. Blessed are those who realize they have a deficit for the kingdom of heaven shall be theirs. And if you don't know you have a deficit, man, you are spilling and leaking all over on people. Let me let me let me just, let me, let me there's, there's, there's this, this picture in this, this text that they're pouring, pouring oil, pouring oil, right, pouring oil. Well, uh, I meet a lot of people that they don't pour oil out they're like a bad car that just leaks oil. You know what I'm saying? And then they got no oil. You ever drive a car that leaks oil? It just doesn't drive right. And so what happens with believers who actually don't have oil being poured into them, uh, and instead of they're leaking oil, is that they live a totally different life. And I wrote this down. Um, if you are somebody who is, has the oil being poured into you, here's a symptom of you. People who pour look like people who just gush about people. People who are leaking oil, they like to gossip about people. Um, uh, people who are poor are people who are just filled with faith. Like when, when God pours His Spirit in you, you start believing for bigger things. You start like you start not stressing about things you stress about. But when you leak oil, every, it's not about faith; it's about fear. Um, when you're when oil's being poured, it looks like power. You look like you just got a new a new countenance on you. But when you're leaking oil, it just you, you ooze insecurity. Uh, when when the, when the when the Holy Spirit's being poured into you, it looks like a giving person. You're a generous person. But when you're leaking oil you withhold and hold on to everything. Compliments, finances, your time. When you're leaking oil, you, just, you look a lot different. Let me give you a, a, a simple story. Um, people who um, haven't been satisfied by the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, they just have different, a different spirit about them. It's unquenchable, they're unsatisfied. Um, there was this little story I, I, I was reading in a book uh, this week. It was about this gentleman, he went to a, um, a restaurant and he just couldn't be satisfied. You know, he sat down and and he um, you know orders food and he tells the waiter, uh, "Excuse me, I am too hot. Turn down the AC or turn the AC on and get it cool in here." And the waiter's like, "You got it, sir." Goes to the back, comes back. Ten minutes go by, and the guy goes, "I am now too cold. Go turn the heater higher, please." And the waiter's like, "Okay, you got it." You know, and so he goes, turns the heater up, and um, in the back goes to the back to turn it up, comes out, and the guy goes again, goes. Now I'm too hot, I'm leaving. And the people across the table go, after the person left, go, excuse me, uh, waiter, how are you so patient with that guy? Turn the AC down, turn the heater up, turn the AC down, turn the heater up. And the waiter just calmly responded, oh, it's cool, we don't even have an air conditioning. (laughs) I wasn't, I was just. yeah, thumbs up, man, sure, Yeah, 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 yeah. Turn the AC, yeah, thumbs up, got it, you know. But as this guy's asking, The environment, he's like, I'm too hot, I'm too cold. AKA, when you have not had the Holy Spirit satisfy your soul, you are never satisfied. Somebody's always, to this or to that. They're this or they're that. Life is this or that. And the reality is, is when you haven't dealt with your deficit, you can just see it in your speech and how you live life. And you're trying to think that the outside thermostat can actually change and make you feel good and satisfied. You'll be unsatisfied for the rest of your days until you realize and simply say, God, I know I got a deficit. I know I'm lacking. I'm lacking. I don't have enough to be the pastor you called me to be. I don't have enough to be the husband you call me to be. I don't have enough to be the friend you call me to be. I don't have enough to be the disciple you call me to be. God, I am lacking. Uh, will you, would you please pour out your oil on me? God, I, I, I'm emptying out of my pride and my, my own works. Would you pour out your oil? When you start to realize you have a deficit, just watch what happens to your life. You're blessed when you realize it. You're not weaker because you realized it. Second thing. Here's what happens if you don't deal with the deficit, the cost of not dealing with the deficit. Now, David, uh, I'm gonna hop a little bit between David and uh, um, this story. David uh, is the greatest you know, character in the Old Testament. And he's the second most covered person in all the Bible, right behind Jesus. And he has an amazing run. Like he does a lot of great things, but he has this one season, if you read the Bible, he starts kind of getting apathetic, stops being obedient even. And where like, it even says like, when the kings would go to war, where you're supposed to go, he decides just to stay back and just hang out at the palace. And if you know the story about uh, um, this is David goes out on the palace and he looks around. It's one of the more famous stories in the Bible. If you've never heard it, I'll I'll condense it. He sees this woman bathing on top of a house. I don't know how they bathed back then, but I guess that's how they did it. And um, she was very beautiful. It says unusual beauty. So she was very beautiful. And David saw her and he was like, I see. And he wanted her and he's king. And he actually knows uh, the guy who she, she's married to it's Uriah. And he's like, still want her. So um, he calls her to his palace, um, ends up uh, sleeping with her. They end up having a kid, uh, ends up causing death. He ends up orchestrating the murder of Uriah. It's this terrible moment in David's life. And you gotta go to where don't go to the last part like, how did this happen? Like, 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 you look at this like, oh, it must have been, if you just wouldn't have done this one thing. No, no, let's go to the source of why this all happened. David suffered from the malady of more, and the word malady is simply the disease of more. David had, we know the names of eight of his wives, but theologians say he had 10, 20 wives. Okay, um, he had concubines. The Bible shows at least he had 10 concubines. So this guy has the most money in the whole nation, the most power. He got 30 ladies that just live in the palace. And to be honest, he got more concubines he wants. He's going to do what he wants. So he has this thing. It's like, when is enough, enough, David? When is enough, enough for you? You need another Bathsheba and another Bathsheba? Like, like, when do, you, when, do, when do you realize at this moment, his weakest moment, where he didn't allow the Lord to satisfy him, he thought a person could satisfy him, so he saw and he took. Can I ask you a question real quick? When will enough be enough for you? When will enough money be enough for you? When will enough compliments be enough for you to where you don't need another compliment from a person? When will enough accomplishments in your life be enough for you? Because if you're chasing for the next thing, because... David's thing was a woman, but your thing could be career or accomplishments or performance. And the reality is if you suffer from the malady of more, you are trying to succeed in something that God has not blessed. I don't want to get anything in my life if God hasn't breathed on it. Right. Abraham Lincoln would pray this prayer uh, before his speeches and before a lot of the big things he would do. And he'd simply say this. And a crowd would be there and it would shock them. He would say, without you, Lord, I must fail. Fail me, Lord, if you're not in it. And all he was simply saying is, if I'm going to be what you call me to be, if I'm going to transform a nation, if I'm going to be the present calling me, I'm not going to just see things and take things and see things and do things. If I'm failing, it's because you told me not to do it. Would you open my eyes? Would you, would you have me fail hard in the things I'm supposed to fail in? And would you have me succeed in the... I don't want to prosper if you're not the one prospering me. I don't want to move forward if you're not the one who's moving me forward. And the reality is that's a scary prayer to pray. But the people who get it accomplish things like Abraham Lincoln. The people who get it actually do greater things than they ever thought they could. If they actually believe what the word says, that God is the one that brings great prosperity. And a prosperity that has joy connected. I think it's Proverbs 1022. I'll like just give you a little, a little nugget right there. Um, so this is what happens. If you don't deal with the deficit, you'll start living a life of the malady of more. You'll start just grabbing next thing after next thing and looking for next thing after next thing. So what's the remedy for this deficit? What's the remedy for this deficit? I find it interesting. There's this one little moment in the, uh, in the story of Elijah where he says uh, to her, um, get a bunch of vessels and then shut the door. Shut the door. Out of all the things like that that are super important in this, you start studying the text. Theologian after theologian starts saying, did you see it? Did you see what he just said? just you, you see the importance of this one statement? The reality is is that if you want to have the oil flow in your life, the door must be shut. What does the door being shut represent in this text? Nothing else is allowed in the room as the oil flows. Nothing else. No Instagram. You wanna hang out with the Lord and have your Instagram on? You wanna hang out with the Lord and have religion be in the room? You wanna hang out with the Lord and have shame be in the room? No, no. All that stuff has gotta be left at the door because God wants to pour between you and him and nothing else. Shut the door. So, so what, what, is, what does it represent? The theologians say it simply represents this. It represents nearness. Do you want to know the remedy for your dissatisfaction, how the oil flow? It's not more works. It's not more trying. The remedy is not more. The remedy is near. Let, let, let me unpack near. Let me unpack what that looks like. Um, so uh, one of my favorite uh, pastors of all time, Wayne Cordero, pastors a great church in, uh, in Hawaii. Um, it's called New Hope. And one of the first books I ever read in youth ministry, is where weird, like, this is when I know like the Holy Spirit's just flowing and just like illuminating things. I haven't thought about this book in 20 years. I read it like when I was like 21 years old. I'm 41 now. And I remember reading it. And I just remember this one story that Wayne Cordero shared about his daughter, his, youngest, uh, his oldest daughter at the time. Her name was Abby. And so I remember like, man, like as I was processing this, this message, uh, I went back to that book and I started reading it again. And the story basically he shares is about his daughter, Abby, that um, when he would travel, Abby uh, his, his oldest, she was about nine years old at the time. She got to sleep in, uh, the, um, the, the bed with mom while he was gone and got to have his side of the bed. And so she used to be like, bye dad, go travel. Like she loved sleeping in the parent. Like, oh, are you traveling? Yay. You know, like she loves sleeping in the, in the big bed. And so uh, he said he, you know, he came home from traveling and speaking one time, and you know, he's laying down and sleeping, and, and Abby comes up while they're, you know, falling asleep, and she's got her little blanket, and she's like, "Dad, can I, can I, can I please sleep in bed with you guys? I don't want to sleep in my room." And you know, uh, if you know Wayne, like he's like the the greatest guy, but he is. A general, you know, and he's like, he's like, he's like, no, like, like I paid good money for your bed. Go sleep in your bed, you know, like, like you know the deal. When daddy's gone, you can sleep in here, but when daddy's here, he gets to sleep in his bed, you know. And she's like, please, dad, can, dad, can I please sleep in the bed? And, and he's like, no, like, like go sleep uh, in your room. I paid good money for that bed. And she's like, can I just sleep on the floor at least, please? Can I just sleep on the floor? And and he's like, no, like, like I didn't pay uh, buy beds. So you sleep on the floor. So he says he picks up uh, Abby. And he brings her to her room, puts her in bed, tucks her in, shuts her door, goes to his door, locks the door um, and uh, doesn't want another kid nudging him. And so he goes, he goes to sleep. He says he wakes up the next morning and he opens his door and Abby is laying right next to the door with her little baby blanket on cold tile asleep. And it said, it, it just melted him. She wanted to be near. She wanted to be with her dad. She wanted to be with her parents. And this is as close as she would get, and it's what she would take. She was sleeping in the bed the next night. <laughs> and he shares this picture, it's just very simple that the Father's looking for followers to say, God, I wanna do everything I can just to get near to you. Everything in me, I'm just, if I have to sleep on tile, I wanna be near to you. Can I, can I read you a verse about what, what, what near does to your soul? Psalm 65:4 says this: Blessed is the one you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts, we shall be satisfied. The goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. The same man who was in the malady of more disease, after he had his revelation moment, his repentant moment, he writes this, he says, I found out what satisfies my soul, and it's not more ladies, it's not more power, it is the nearness of God. Let me, let me give you another one. Psalm 73, 28 says this, but as for me, how good it is to be near to God, I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone how wonderful, uh, uh, about the wonderful things you do. Stop. I, um, get back from sabbatical and I give myself a word for like a year, sometimes like six months at a time. And so my word that I came back with was destroy average, wrote it down, put verses with it. I was like, this is, I'm going to destroy average this year. I remember telling the Lord like in July, like, Lord, I'm going to destroy average. I'm, I'm going to work out more than I ever worked out. I'm going to pray more than I ever prayed. I'm going to serve more than I ever served. I'm going to be the greatest leader of called me. I'm going to destroy average. You know, if average people do this, I'm doing this. You know, so, so like I'm, I'm, I'm like, like jazzed up over it, okay? So, so one morning when we're on sabbatical, I, like, I start like reading verses and I start putting together my destroy average uh, sheet. Go ahead and pop it up, uh, first picture. So this is my destroy average sheet. And a lot of it's good. Like, like so um, I made it small so y'all can't read all my stuff. Um, but Colossians 3 says this. Whatever you do, uh, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now, for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ who you are serving. So I wrote down, everything we do, it's like, you know, Rachel and house, Everything we do, we do to honor God with our lives. Jesus is our aim. We want to please him in everything we do. So like, I'm gonna, oh, okay, that's a good one. Okay, you know, Philippians 4. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it but I focus on this one thing forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And I wrote down this, we will press, we will grind, we will wring out every last drop. These are, these are the things, I'm gonna read this every day. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. There are no shortcuts. We will work hard on everything entrusted to us. Trusting as we work hard, God will bring the increase. I mean, I keep on going off on things, uh, next page. And then I write down, uh, you know, a couple other ones. Uh, you know, there are no shortcuts. We will work hard on everything and trust in us. Trusting as we work hard, you know, oh, the other one, sorry. Um, uh, we will be diligent every day. We will move the ball forward in life, ministry, and fitness. The diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. You know, uh, so, so then I write down a couple of my values. Okay, I'm going to read five chapters every morning. Okay, morning and evening, I'm doing my prayer rhythm. Okay, okay, I'm going to work out in the morning, 60 minutes at least. Okay, five days of healthy eating. I'm not to a piece of twice in a week. I write all this down. So I, 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 I wake up this week. I'm back, Monday. I wake up destroy average turn on the worship music all right lord it's time to destroy average and i'm worshiping yahweh you know Yahweh, and like nothing's happening. Like, like I'm like, like I just feel so dry as I'm like, like what's happening? You know, I read my five verses. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna read. You know, Lord, we're going ten today. I don't, five's just the bare minimum, destroying average. I'm gonna read ten today. You know, so so nothing on Monday. So then Tuesday, I wake up and I'm like, what's going on? You know, you know, Rachel and I are in the car and I grab my like, Lord, would you use us today? Like this, like absolutely trying to destroy average. Okay. So so I'm 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 trying to 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 live this week a certain way, and every morning I leave empty, empty, and I'm like, Lord, what's wrong? I'm, I checked every box. I checked in. I, I, I prayed. I read. I worked out. Literally, like, you know, a show that I maybe would watch because it's a funny show. I decided not to watch it. Consecration. <laughs> I'm going for it. And I feel nothing. No power, no joy, no fuel. And then on Thursday morning, I feel like the Lord, as I was checking the box again, put on the worship music, nothing. I feel like he, we got this new chair for our living room. It's a recliner. I feel like he just told me to just lay down. And I feel like he just recalibrated my soul. He says, I don't want you to destroy average. I want you to be near. So Your life is not gonna about being doing more and being more. Your life will be marked by being near to me. Oh, so good. Be near. And so for the last three days, Rachel's walked by me in the house at different places. Like <laughs> the other day, Rachel walked by and I was in our bedroom and, you know, just worship music on. And my head's like this, like... <laughs> She's like, Are you okay? I was like, You're just being near. Just being near. Feeling so good. You know, you know, we got didn't And I was just like, I'd be sitting in bed and i had have my laptop and i just put a worship me put I in my earbuds in, my ear door, and Rachel looked at me, the tears on my like, What are you doing? Just being near. Like, like it, just, it just transformed everything about how God wants. God said, You can pick, destroy, average. That's a cute word. Let me give you a new one, Tyler. It's near. And can I, can I just say for our church, and I've never done this, for our church this season, can our word be near? Yeah. Can I, can, I wrote this down as the last little thing. You can make your life about getting more things or you can make your life about getting near. Let's make our life about getting near. Let's make our life about getting close to God, praying to God, creating room for God to speak to us, not trying to move on to the next thing. Can I pray for you? Bow your heads. God, we thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. We thank you that you're the one that, that breathes on things that we can never breathe on, that you provide the oil, so, Lord, I pray right now that people who are just feel so dry, Lord, that they would just enjoy you this next season, that they wouldn't come with a religious activity. It's not even bad to have disciplines in life. God, that's not what, what, what you were trying to show me, that it's not bad to be, it's bad to be disciplined, but, but the agenda in which we come to you, may our agenda be wiped clean. May our agenda be wiped clean, we're not, that we're not trying to force your hand or show you that we're good so you give us good, but, God, we would come with an empty agenda and saying, God, have your way. Pour out your grace, pour out your peace, pour out your joy, pour out your plans. If you're in the room today and you never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, if you want to say yes to Jesus today, I want you to simply just raise your hand and catch my eye. The Bible says there must be a response. And in the room today, you may feel like, what's going on right now? I, I want this Jesus. My friend invited me and, and I want to say yes to Jesus. The, the reality is, is that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And, and when you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to eternity in heaven, yes to relationship with him, yes to your birthright. So if you want to say yes to Jesus today, yes to blessing, no to cursing, with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand, and catch my eye on the count of three, one two, three, if that's you. I see you, that's Grayson. I see you, and I see you, and I see you. Come on now, hands all over. We can clap for that, we can clap for that. Come on. All right, last thing, I'm gonna give you a couple quick church announcements. Um, I'm gonna make these quick just because of time. I will unpack more of these as we go forward. as I was praying through our sabbatical, there's a handful of things that I believe that God is uh, going to put a grace on our church to accomplish, um, and it's not going to take one person. It's going to take a lot of empty vessels, uh, and then allowing the Lord to pour into those empty vessels, and then those empty vessels pour out, and that's doing a, a great work. Amen? So you may have a lot of like, well, when are we doing this? How are we doing this? Why are we doing this? All that kind of stuff. So here are some things that I, I see our church um, doing the next, uh, um, gosh, 25, 30 years. Um, I think... Uh, as we move forward, uh, I didn't want to have this be something that we stewarded in the back and then just told you it happened. I believe that as we journey together, I think God wants our church to journey together and watch him accomplish these things together. So one of the announcements I I simply wanna share with you is that we're gonna actually uh, launch uh, some Mission Church campuses, that we're gonna actually plant churches uh, that are gonna be campuses. We're gonna plant churches that are just churches, but campuses in the East Bay, and three of them are gonna be Mission Church Martinez, Mission Church, La Mirinda, and then Mission Church, Livermore. Come on now. Um, we have everything we need to see God move in the Bay Area. We got the oil. We got it. Now God just needs some empty vessels to say, God, would you use me in this area? I really believe that. Uh, you're like, well, what does a campus look like? Is it going to be video, live preaching? Uh, fruit's always the goal. Uh, whoever our campus pastor is gonna be, I think they'll preach sometimes. I think we'll have video preaching of me. Sometimes maybe I'll drive out there and preach. Um, but we're gonna launch three campuses. Todd, when are we launching them? That's where we're gonna give the Lord uh, uh, the, the agenda. We're emptying it out. I think that people even in this room, you may know somebody who knows somebody with a building. Uh, and I, I have a list of where I, I wanna go, first, second, third, but as I've realized as a leader, God's way smarter than I am. He's a way better businessman, amen? He's a way better expander of the kingdom. So, uh, but I really believe that one of the graces on our house is that we're going to put churches in places that need churches. And if you are in the East Bay, you know that these places need churches. Amen? So, uh, we're going to launch campuses. Uh, and, like, Mission Church the market could happen in a year or two years. Mission Church Martinez could happen in a year or two years. It could take 10 years to do all three campuses. I'm okay with it, but I want us to be praying and believing so when these things happen, we can celebrate them together, amen? Uh, and then last but not least, uh, we are going to do everything in our power, uh, the due diligence uh, of knocking on doors, and we're gonna try to find a building to get in contract with. Uh, and here's how it works when you get a building for Mission Church you know, home base, let's call that HQ. Uh, we're gonna get like a 60, sometimes maybe a 100 day window, 120-day window, uh, to buy a building, and we're going to have to do a capital campaign. Uh, We have saved up in our heart for the house a little over a million dollars, which is amazing uh, for a church like us. It's amazing. Yep, One million? I don't know, 30 more million to go. I have no idea how much a building costs. Maybe 10 more million to go. Maybe we get a great deal. Maybe some gives a billion. um, I just want you to be praying that God gives us the right building in Walnut Creek this season. And then when we get it, we'll have a capital campaign, and we'll do our you know, stewardship of how we're gonna do that. And uh, we're gonna see God do a miracle within that little 60, 120 day window. And we're gonna find a real home because the, the clock is ticking on this place. We have for about another year and a half. Even if we sign a place, we've got to remodel. It takes a long time. So, so those are the two big ones uh, I wanna share with you today. Um, God doesn't wanna stay, have what's happening here stay just right here. He wants to spill in the streets, spill into other cities. Um, I love the East Bay. I can't wait to do all the campuses. Are you excited? Yeah. Come on now. Let me pray for you. God, would you use our church? Would you bless our church? God, we love you so much. God, we thank you that you've called us. And God, may we focus on being near to you this week. God, may we make time. May we make you our first. God, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons.